Welcome to Shed Life. Chanakya, how are you today, mate? Actually, Hello. wait, you know what? Chanakya, that's, I mean, I don't want to keep saying that wrong. Can I just call you like Chana for short? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Although that, that's actually uh, chickpeas in Hindi, but yeah. That's, that's fine. all right. I like chickpeas, that's good. All right, Chana. Thanks for um, having me on the show. Say again, mate. Thanks for having me on the show. Mm, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Well, well, actually, don't thank me yet. Let's see what we get through first before we uh, start <laughs> saying our gratuities. Um, all right, so tell, tell us what's, what's going on in India. What's the latest, mate? Oh, there's a lot going on in India. Uh, well, the main news in India is like it is in the rest of the world, which is uh, the country is fighting a virus. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, compared to a lot of the developed nations, India has uh, done pretty well as of now. The lockdown has gone really well. And there have been few problems with the lockdown in India, uh, which are being dealt with. Uh, but I guess all in all, in terms of numbers, the number of new cases, I think India has done better, better than expected, better than what was projected by the WHO. Um, hmm. I'm hearing there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a big outbreak in Mumbai at the moment, like a really big one, a really serious one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, so what has happened is uh, the last few weeks, uh, India has been able to procure a lot of testing kits, COVID testing kits and uh, the testing rates has increased uh, to a huge extent. And the more people are being tested, the more number of new cases are coming out. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Mumbai is still under a stricter lockdown than a lot of the other places where uh, the new cases have gone down. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, different regions of India are fighting the virus in different, in their own different ways. Fair, fair, fair. Yep. How's the, um, in your opinion, how's the government as a whole sort of handled the whole situation in India? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, so in terms of uh, bringing the lockdown into the country, I think the timing of it was absolutely perfect, pitch perfect it was. Uh, it was neither too early nor too late. And uh, although uh, the uh, stats said that India was behind by a week, by about two weeks uh, from UK. Uh, I believe the day on which UK had its lockdown, just two, two, two to three days uh, later, India, Indian PM, PM Modi came on the media, he announced a lockdown. Uh, although when he announced the lockdown, uh, there was not much time given to the people or even to the state's chief ministers to you know, work their way around uh, this lockdown and make sure that all the uh, logistics and all the infrastructure is in place to make sure that uh, things happen properly. So that has been one of the criticisms of the federal government that uh, this was the lockdown was not announced uh, in after discussion with uh, the state governors or chief ministers. But yeah, the timing wise, it has been very good. And some states in India have uh, done much better than the others. Uh, that is, uh, so the state where I'm from, uh, Kerala. So it saw the first uh, three cases of coronavirus in India. And uh, it, uh, in compared to the other states, I think uh, it has done really, really well. And one of the reasons for that is, uh, is, is because uh, it has also been a victim of Ebola and uh, some of the other infectious diseases. And it was better prepared than the other states in fighting this virus. I see. So it's got sort of history of um, dealing with uh, epidemics. So kind of had that sort of uh, yeah 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 security fence around it in the in a sense. They knew what to really do and how to pounce on it. I guess. And also, I think uh, what goes something that cannot be understated here is that uh, the uh, the grassroots level healthcare system in Kerala is uh, one of the best in India, if not the best. So by that I mean uh, the small village level hospitals are well maintained and there is a lot of contact tracing happening door-to-door -door contact tracing 
and finding out who is infected and uh, using the police force in making sure that uh, the people are put into quarantine, the infected people are, they, they make sure that the infected people are, you know, they stay in quarantine. Until yeah, they have, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it makes so, sense, makes sense. So th there was news a while back about um, like the famine and stuff that was potentially hitting India and all these sort of issues surrounding, you know, obviously lockdown, um, obviously cert affecting certain demographics. What, what, what can you tell us about that? Do you know much about that? Uh, so in India, basically, there are uh, two kinds of uh, crops, which are, so India is uh, largely, India's economy is largely uh, built upon agriculture. And there are uh, two harvests that happen in, in India in a year. One is called Kharif, which happens during the summer season. And the other is called Rabi, which happens in the winter season. So this is the time of the year, May, June, when I believe that harvest has to happen and the produce has to move from those villages where this farming happens and goes into the cities uh, through a third party retailer or whatever. Uh, and due to the severe lockdown, uh, and mind you, India's lockdown has been called one of the strictest lockdowns in the whole world. And it has caused a huge amount of disruption of not just uh, travel of people, but also travel for trade and goods as well. So what that has done is uh, it has uh, given a massive hit uh, to the already, uh, let's call it an unorganized sector of agriculture in India. So uh, the main victims of this whole thing uh, are the farmers who are not able to get their produce to the markets and get the price uh, you know, for those producers. And one of the other things is also a migrant crisis that is, uh, has come into the attention of the media world over. So what, why that has been a case is because there are a lot of states in India where uh, the industrial development is not as much as some of the other states. So a lot of the migrant workers and a lot of the people from there, they go in search of jobs to the other states. and. Uh, because of the sudden call for a lockdown, uh, those people have just got stuck in wherever they were. And because all the railways and roads were closed, they've not been able to come back. And there have been a lot of instances of people trying to walk almost 500 to 1,000 miles to their homes. And this has caught the attention of the world media without a mode of travel. So, which is obviously a very sad scenario. That's uh, nuts. That's like what happened during partition, wasn't it? Where you could see yeah. the different streams of people just walking miles and miles, do you know what I mean, to their new uh, quote unquote land. Um, uh, have you heard about the locusts? I heard something about locusts, like of biblical proportions, attacking all these like crops and stuff in India like, fairly recently. Have you heard much about that? Uh, no, I, I didn't hear a lot about it, but yeah, it's I've, what I know is it's one of the most severe. Uh, attacks of locusts in India and it doesn't happen very, uh, usually it doesn't happen and it's come from the direction of Pakistan is what I've heard and <laughs> I'm not incriminating <laughs> any country in that, you know, I'm just saying that, yeah. That's... Sure, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. What kind of um, stimulus packages are in place for uh, the population from the government? Is there anything sort of really stand out, like anything that really stands out or if you can explain some of that? Yeah, so uh, there, uh, so recently uh, in the, one of the most recent uh, public address, uh, the finance minister uh, announced uh, the economic stimulus package. Uh, this is coming a bit late in my opinion. Uh, it's almost one and a half months for, since the lockdown began. And uh, now the government has announced an economic stimulus package of about 260 billion US dollars uh, worth of uh, economic relief to India. And this is mainly for uh, the medium and <clears throat> small size uh, enterprises and the SMEs and uh, even uh, to help out the migrant workers that I was talking about. Uh, 
to give them some sort of a daily wage just to keep them going and uh, yeah i think this is uh, most the major part of the package is uh, meant for uh, you know that particular section of the society and is this is this distributed quite evenly across all the states or is it does it have some sort of interference from uh, heads of individual states for example and i don't know like how how is it actually spread out across the, the whole nation uh so so government has a uh, a scheme called mnrega uh, so that i think that uh, it means mahatma gandhi uh, national rural employment guarantee scheme or something so uh -huh. as part of that scheme this is being uh, uh you know given out to the general public and also there's also a jandhan yojana through which a lot of the poor people uh, government was able to make sure that they have their own bank accounts so that happened as part of uh, the demonetization drive as well that came in to the country about two years ago uh, which is hugely <laughs> still hugely debated in india what benefits india got out of it but one i think one small benefit out of it was uh, a lot of the transactions uh, in india and digital uh, post act but still i think the grassroots level uh, transactions are still cash based uh, it's going to be a huge task for any government to you know shift the entire economy from a cash based economy to a digital economy that's going to take a lot of time so uh, yeah we were talking about the economic relief package so it's a huge number it's about 10% of the gdp india's gdp and uh, what remains to be seen is how far uh, the government is able to help people with it because as of now it's it sounds like a big number and uh, nothing else we'll only know uh, how it helps out people in the coming weeks or so so going back to this um, the demonetization um, principle you you mentioned earlier is this the thing where there was sort of um getting the government sort of getting rid of all those big bills in circulation like was it to stop money laundering or i don't know something like that criminal enterprises from operating i don't know i've heard certain aspects of it but if you can sort of shed more light on that that would be quite useful yeah you're right there so that was one of the uh, objectives of uh, the so called uh, drive called demonetization and uh, as with all the other decisions of uh, pm modi uh this also happened all of a sudden he came on the national media at around 8:30 pm and uh, he announced that uh the 500 and 1000 rupee notes are going to be demonetized from midnight that day and uh, the new notes which is uh 2000 which is a higher monetary value bill will be in circulation in a couple of months and it happened so sudden that the uh, printing agencies were did not have sufficient time to print uh, enough number of bills to bring that money back into circulation and it created a huge amount of uh, let's call it a ruckus in the country so one of the objectives that government said that uh, was behind the demonetization was uh, uh, you know to reduce or you know to bring down the amount of black money that is in circulation in the country uh, so uh, let me give an example uh, in india if you are buying a land uh, or say a property uh, a living property so what a lot of people do is uh, uh, to avoid the tax they do not mention the actual market value of the property they uh, quote a value of the property which is much lesser say about 40 to 50% less than the market value so that brings down the tax or the duty that uh, you know they have to pay to the government as well um, by a big amount and that extra money that uh, goes unrecorded becomes black money it has no trace anywhere in the economy and is the it, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt man just a quick question is this is this standard practice you're saying for anyone who's buying land in india or is it Are we talking about only a certain segment of maybe uh, criminal enterprises, or is this general practice? 
it's a huge it's it's a pretty much a standard practice i think oh, in wow. my opinion wow. yeah i think in my opinion about 70 to 80% of property transactions happen below the market value nice. and uh, yeah and so that was one of the objectives uh, to reduce black money and the other objective was also uh, the fake currency uh, that was coming into circulation in the economy and but what happened at the end of all this was uh, the black money part at least uh, the reserve bank the central bank of india the reserve bank of india it uh, gave the stats uh, at the end of the demonetization drive after one year that almost 99.7% of the money was bank back in the banks that means that only 0.3% of black money did not come back which means that the government's uh, you know idea that there's huge amount of black money in circulation was completely unfounded it oh so you're saying there, there was only proof that about 0.3% yes. um, of it was black money but what, couldn't there not be other ways around it to um, to maybe hide this black money for example like could you not maybe use these notes or whatnot which are you know part of a criminal enterprise to maybe trade with regular landowners or farmers or you know shop owners whatever and just start utilizing it heavily in circulation oh yes that that happened a lot as well yes uh, there were instances which are reported in the media that you know poor uh, people were uh, you know as part of this whole drive uh, one of the intentions was pe people go to the bank and create their own accounts as well and deposit whatever they have into the banks so what some of the people with excess money were doing were they were giving part of their money to their next of kin, their relatives or whoever they knew. And these people are going to the bank and putting that money into their own accounts. So even that way, a lot of the blank money came back into the system. Uh, but there is uh, another sort of black money, which completely goes unaccounted for, which is uh, deposited in uh, tax havens, uh, like, you know, Swiss banks, uh, where, you know, you, they, you basically don't have an account of who is holding the account there and how much money is being kept there. So, yeah. Mm, interesting. So go, going back to, um, you said earlier, you're from Kerala. Um, I know you mentioned to me before this uh, recording that you spent some time in North India as well, right? If I'm yeah. not mistaken. Um, I know speaking to quite a few different people, um, there is quite a divide between North and South, right? In the nation. Um, and I guess if you go further north, there might be another divide, but just, just a standard cut off line. I, I think, especially if you look at languages, um, the north and south, it just differs quite a fair bit. Um, seeing as you've been obviously uh, uh, living in both, both parts, why don't you just give us some sort of insight into um, the main sort of differences and why, why it occurs? Uh, so one of the main differences that you can see is uh, the... Uh, the level of literacy or education, if you can call it, uh, you know, uh, when you compare the southern states to the northern states, and uh, there are there are districts in Kerala which have achieved almost hundred percent literacy, which is something you see only in a developed country, you know, which but uh, in comparison there are a lot of places in North India which are still lagging behind in uh, basic infrastructure and education as well uh, so i i think it's it's got a lot to do with uh, you know that the governments uh, that have come there from time to time and their uh, you know initiatives you know all right so i mean i guess like i said you you've lived in both north and south what what are your main experiences um in terms of you know the differences between between the two regions, because I know I know I've heard from other people there are quite a, a vast number of differences. So you know maybe in your own words you can tell us about your own experiences. Yeah, I think the main difference uh, which I find the most significant between the northern and southern states is uh, the importance given to education uh, in you know both sections of the country. Uh, I think the uh, the governments and the people in general in south they value education uh, to a big extent and that has actually driven more and more youth into good employment uh, 
uh, now you see as i mentioned earlier india's economy is mainly based on agriculture but the second most important part of that economy is uh, service so india is slowly becoming the service based economy uh, as well so there's a lot of it it companies and bbos operating from india and all these companies are uh, there's the reason why most of these are based in the southern parts of india is because uh, it's the southern states which are able to churn out uh, lakhs uh, i mean thousands of graduates year after year uh, and you know uh, serve the economy and you know create jobs in that sort of a manner mm. so i think if the northern states gave more uh, emphasis on educating their uh, you know the people uh, the general public uh, it would go a long way in rooting out a lot of the issues that the northern states are facing right now is there any like attitude differences i know you get this in all parts of the world where whichever country or region or you know state you're from you sometimes have a certain attitude to maybe different people different people who even though they might be your own like you know quote unquote countrymen but you still have a certain attitude like where the where the north indians you know where the southern indians like do you, do you, did you get that kind of sense of when you were there like did you ever feel that obviously coming from the south into the north uh no well not to a big extent uh, i don't think i was ever discriminated against in any way um, but uh, yeah there is some sort of uh, this you know social prejudice uh, between different states in india and india actually is a very diverse country it, it was meant to be like 29 different countries and it became a big nation with so many different cultures so some of these uh, you know Uh, social prejudices are deep rooted in our cultures and that's how this all starts but yeah i i don't think personally i've faced a lot of uh, uh, discrimination because i was from another state no i mean i mean one thing i'm just picking up on like i mentioned right at the start of the question was the language thing and the the language is the the style of language is you know i research is a bit i'm reading some oxford courses books about how the southerner obviously um, inherited the dravidian language the people the dravidian people's languages and the northern was different um but obviously hindi is the, the one of the main national languages if i'm not mistaken right and yeah. that that if you go to the south if you compare it to their own local languages that really shouldn't resonate with them obviously they they may well know it obviously but um it is completely different so for them to be expected to call that their national language is that ever cause any controversy or you know any issues in that sense yeah it does cause a lot of issues uh, from time to time uh, especially uh, you know tamil is one of the uh, oldest languages it's considered to be one of the oldest languages in the world and uh, for a federal government so what you have to understand here is that the indian federal government since it sits in the northern part of the country and uh, so in that way and also how the indian uh, let's call it the electoral system works is uh, a state gets a state that has more population gets more number of seats so it's based on the number of people and by reasons one of the reasons uh, uh, for a large population in north india is because of uh, lack of proper family planning and that could be uh, you know accused on lack of education as well so these are all related issues and what it has in turn caused is that some of the southern states feel a certain sort of disconnect with the rest of the country sometimes and there have been a lot of issues in tamil nadu where tamil is the official language and there are political parties there who have come out over and over again don't try to impose hindi on us uh, we have a functioning language in our state and i've seen a, i've i've lived in uh, tamil nadu as well and i've <laughs> I, i've uh, seen a lot of uh, uh, the native tamilians uh, saying that uh, i do not like being uh, you know forced to speak in hindi uh, mm, sure. i go to a, yeah did, did was there was there a, um, if i'm right in saying did they try and gain independence once break away from india or is that is that, uh, is that a silly remark <laughs> i swear i remember i swear i remember like years ago years and years ago that they, they, they were trying to gain some sort of independence Like, I literally the state of Tamil Nadu. 
political outfits which wanted that but i don't okay. think the mainstream tamil people ever wanted it but yeah there's that sort of animosity with the um, you know let's call it the uh, the central indian motive of promoting hindi all over india and which is one of the objectives of the ruling party as such as well when it came to power initially it was to impose hindi as a national language uh, you know so yeah no fair enough interesting stuff man all right so um we mentioned the government's response in india uh, towards corona uh, i want to get your take on the current government in general um been in power for quite a while so um yeah what's your some opinions on this government Oh that's a very broad question and <laughs> I was uh, definitely expecting this one <laughs> <laughs> that uh, in no ways uh, means that I'm prepared for it but yeah I'm going to give this a try um yeah just yeah. in your opinions mate yeah i think the world uh, the whole world has heard of this phenomenon called modi uh, and he's a very charismatic leader let's get that out of the way and uh, you know he uh, he came to power in india he, or his party came to power in india in the 2014 general elections and since then he's been a huge phenomenon there's a term called modi wave whenever his party wins an election and uh what uh contributed to his uh you know coming to power being the prime minister uh, a lot of people have will have different opinions uh my opinion in that area would be that uh it's a combination of factors one of which is uh you know a uh, nationalist hindu sentiment in the in the citizens of the country saying that they have not been given their worth by the previous governments in the country and that has contributed to him coming to power and also one of the other things uh, was a leadership void which modi has been able to fill in certain ways so when we look at the other national party in the country which is the indian national congress a uh, lot of it uh, the selection of its representatives is become very undemocratic it's it's been uh, you know in a way it's been serving the purpose of the gandhi family from a long time and that uh people have uh, in a way they have gone uh, you know they've gone really against that sort of a system where you know a person's son becomes the prime minister and then it goes on through generations and generations but coming on to coming back to modi here so 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 that is the two things two reasons that contributed to him coming to power but uh his rule has been in some circles uh, it has been called very authoritarian so he his govern his government is very uh, you know centralized sort of a in a manner now even in case of corona virus all the decisions that he took uh, were uh, you know they they seem like it is all coming from him and it was not in discussion with any of the other um, you know governors of the state and there have been good and bad uh, policies that have this government has uh, you know come up with uh, one of the major flags that it received was yeah obviously because of demonetization and there some good things that it was able to do was one of them was goods and services tax that's called gst so that basically simplifies the tax system in the country although gst was uh you know under planning with the previous government itself but this government was able to implement it because of its majority in the parliament so there is a nationalist uh sort of an environment in the country which is good in some ways but what it also means is that it is contributing to curtailing of people's freedom so uh a lot of the mob lynchings are happening in the country and people who contribute to that think that they are serving the country by uh, rooting out the evil from the country but what a lot of them don't realize is that uh, you know right uh, the constitution gives the citizens a lot of rights one of which is freedom of speech 
or freedom of expression and all that. Uh, let me give you an instance of, uh, so this happened uh, recently in uh, one of the BJP governed state in Uttar Pradesh, uh, uh, whose uh, chief, chief minister is actually a Hindu monk. And, uh, and he came out with a law because a lot of people from his state are migrant workers who work in other states. So when they came back uh, to, to his state, he made a blanket rule saying that uh, from now on, if the other states want workers from his state, they'll have to take the permission of the state government, which in a way, uh, which basically uh, stops the people of that state from, uh, you know, using their freedom of movement to other states. You can't, it's, it's, it's basically wrong. You can't do that. You're basically living in one country and the most basic rights that you have as part of living in a country is to have the freedom of moving to any place in the country. Uh, so you're saying they're basically putting up borders for these migrant workers um, within separate states almost. So treating it like it's this, um, land borders. Yeah, yeah. Not physical borders, but yes, uh, you know, state administered borders where, you know, you can't just get people from the state. You will have to go through the government for that. And well, obviously there's one more uh, big drawback of that is you need to have, you need to be able to create jobs in that state to make sure that those people are, you know, they stay there, they don't move out. Mm, interesting. Um, what, what, I saw there's a lot of stuff on these protests that, got, um, that have been going on over the last few months. Can you shed any light um, onto these protests and maybe tell the listeners exactly what's going on there? So I'm, I'm sure maybe um, it's obviously big news, but it might not be well documented here in the West. So uh, the protest is uh, the main, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, the main substance in that whole protest. It's, it's mainly based on the laws that, couple of laws that were recently passed by the government. So there is one uh, registry, it's called the National Registry of Citizens, which is maintained uh, by the Indian government, which keeps a track of all its citizens. And what has happened is uh, India shares its land borders with a lot of countries, namely India, Pakistan, China, sorry, Pakistan, China, Bangladesh, uh, Nepal, uh, Myanmar, etc. So what has happened is a lot of migrants uh, from Bangladesh and Myanmar have uh, come to India to for, for, you know, to pursue better economic prospects. So this has created a sort of a illegal immigrant situation in some areas in the country. So the Indian government came up, which is a majority Hindu nationalist government, its ideology is mainly Hindu nationalist. So it came up with a law which is called the Citizenship Amendment Act, uh, and it became a bill. So that when combined with the National Registry of Citizens, what it does is, so if, so there's the, if the, uh, so we, in a sense, the Citizenship Amendment Act or the CAA, uh, what it says is, uh, what it does is it just provides a means of obtaining Indian citizenship to uh, certain communities which are Hindu, Sikhs, Buddhist, Jain, Parsi, and Christian religious minorities uh, who have fled persecution from Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Afghanistan before December 2014. So, we, uh, so the government has mentioned six communities here, but they have left out Muslims and the uh, the reason being given by the Home Minister in the Parliament there was that uh, Muslims are the majority community in these countries and they have no reason to migrate to India. But they completely miss the fact that people not just come to India because of religious persecution, they also come to a country looking for jobs. Like, look at a lot of Indian immigrants going to a different countries looking for jobs, right? That's pretty obvious. So this has caused a huge uproar, uh, saying that this goes against the basic tenets of the constitution that you're not supposed to be discriminated based on your religion. And 
there have been protests happening throughout the country uh, on this in our democracy. Oh, sorry, Chana, the, the recording messed up a bit now. It cut off. Um, sorry, just carry on where you were from, from what you're saying. Yeah, uh, so what I was saying was that uh, because it's so discriminating towards uh, one particular community in India, which, uh, so in a way, uh, what this law, how this law will also affect uh, the Muslims in India is that a lot of them will have to show some sort of a proof to prove their ancestorship, um, you know, when asked for by the Indian authorities. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people will have some sort of a document, but um, I'm thinking of my thought is with all the poor people who, uh, you know, who are out there to meet their basic daily needs. I, I don't think they keep track of, or they are educated enough to keep track of all the government mandated documents. So what happens to them? Do they suddenly become stateless, which is completely unfair in my opinion. I, I don't think such a thing happens anywhere, leave alone in the largest democracy in the world. That's, so, a, that's, a, good, that's a good point actually, because um, I mean, I don't think you have to be uneducated to not have specific documents. That's just, that can happen to anyone at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean, like it's just, it's a circumstance and situation that may occur, especially if you've been there decades and I don't know what they're like document system is over there in terms of birth certificates or you know, proof of citizenship, this and the other. But yeah, these, these people that you mentioned, they could, be, they could have been here for decades, right? Yeah. And um, like you said, just because they've either misplaced or they've never got or they've never realized the, the need to have certain uh, documents proving that they are maybe born and bred Indians or have been in India for so long, um, suddenly they're at risk of getting deported. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So either they get deported uh, and i don't uh, i don't know which country is going to take uh, uh, the burden of you know citizens from another country when those people have willingly left that country for whatever reason and there's another well, option there's it's not really, it's there's not really willing people. it's not really willingly is it if you're getting deported yeah. deported doesn't mean willingly that means you're getting kicked out isn't it yeah and there's also a lot of news about detention centers being created and there's not a lot of uh, information out there about what these detention centers are all about is it like china where uh, you have re-education camps where a lot of muslim minorities are kept and um, you know they are in double quotes uh, you know re-educated to make sure that they serve the chinese government or some sort of something like that or is it going to be another Holocaust? You don't know. I'm not trying to create any sort of panic here, but <laughs> you know, uh, the government has to come out and come on. Uh, you need to make things clear here what its intentions are, and you know, with uh, this law and why is it so discriminatory in its uh, basic nature. Uh, mm, okay. So tell me, when, when's the next, um, uh, these prime minister elections? So the next uh, general elections in India will happen in 2024. Bloody hell, that's miles away. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right, 2024, BJP, let's say they remain in power. Um, what's your sort of future glimpse of what's, um, what's to come? And I guess in the opposite route, let's say they're no longer in power. Uh, what would you like to see happen to your country? Uh, you know, basically, what's the future of India looking like from maybe both scenarios? Uh, well, I think the future of India is looking both promising and a little bit scary, in my opinion. Uh, promising in terms of what I'm seeing in the news with, uh, you know, the initiatives that the Modi government is taking right now. Uh, so one of the big... Uh, points of appreciation that this government has received is that he's reaching out there to a lot of the other governments around the world and to that is basically to improve the trade in the country that this incidentally was one of the criticisms that he received in, in the initial days because he was mostly out there not in india he was just touring the whole world and people were criticizing him saying that he's on a you know fun tour but I can see what the in, in intentions there are. So it, we are living in a globalized world. No country can survive on its own. You need resources, uh, sure. you need mm. energy, 
and everything so india india imports a lot of its oil from the gulf countries and there are a lot of american companies which employ uh, indians in it and bpo sectors so india is very much dependent on a lot of the other world economies and for india to have a good economic development we have to work in good relationship with these countries so that is good economically and also some of the scarier things that i mentioned policy wise like policy in terms of the societal changes in india some of these things will be rooted out if india connects better with the rest of the countries now let me give an example so one of the most uh, uh, junior member of parliaments in our country is a bjp mp he is from bangalore uh-huh. and uh, somebody happened to dig a old tweet from him which mentioned something very defamatory about arab women and arab people in general and uh, what uh, i have to mention here is that a lot of indians work in the arab countries you know in different positions so what went down after that was that when this tweet came up uh, one of the princesses and some of the uh, you know the govern governing people in the arab countries they they really didn't appreciate this sort of a thing coming from someone who was part of the government and they said that we have to create an environment of mutual respect you you have to respect my religion and i will respect your religion and i think as india as the modi as modi goes and you know to connect with these other world leaders we have to make sure that we respect the sentiments of the other communities as well and that uh, you know because of this connection it is going to make it's going to you know in a way or another it's going to ensure that uh, we respect the sentiments of all communities in our country itself so i guess uh, you like you mentioned that's coming from the very top from the government yeah. they yeah. have to change their sentiments and their um sort of verbatim and their policies i guess to be more inclusive right than maybe um they have to one... tone down uh, the whole fervor of nationalism in some ways you know but well, i say it's global globalization versus nationalism whatever they um, choose to do i guess all right so if that's the future of india if like you mentioned this uh, bjp party staying in power uh what's the what, what, what about if they weren't to stay in power so i don't know about any other um, oppositions but let's say um let not not saying you're in power but let's say how would you like to see it going forward like you know whether it's a specific government you have in mind you know a specific party or uh, just general policies or you know processes you'd like to see in change and happen in india you know in the next whatever it may be just taking this country forward uh, yeah so i think i think uh, india is on its way to uh, becoming one of the most uh, uh, capitalist uh, capitalist based countries in the world so india was uh, if you see historically india was a s- mostly a socialism based country till 1991 when uh, the liber- the liberalization happened in india and a lot of the state owned companies were starting to get uh, privatized and private ownership and foreign foreign investment also started in india there so one of the changes that i want to see right now is that a lot of the loss making state owned bodies for example even air india it's it's struggling it's uh, you know devoid of cash it's the only reason why it is still out there is because it's funded by the government and it's it's a long time you know it's it's been the i think the air india is just one of such examples where you know uh, where government has to reduce its uh you know ownership of these companies and make sure that there are foreign investments or private investments coming into india uh one of the but, recent- but just sorry sorry um chana is it is that just like is not just a national airline though so is that not that's not really um uh sort of a that's that's kind of a normal currency which happens in a lot of countries right when they have a national airline is that not the case in in this situation yeah it is the national carrier uh but you you don't want your taxpayers money to be uh, going into funding a loss making enterprise right whether it's an airline or not i as a taxpayer i don't like my uh, 
you know money in the wrong direction and rather than you know a private owner taking we all know that you know when a company is privately owned it generally tends to perform better than a state owned company so i want to see some changes happening in that direction and a lot of disinvestment happening in that direction but we also should not uh you know uh, carry on to a state where we have crony capitalism and uh, lobbies taking over a lot of these institutions so one of the uh, examples that i want to give you is uh, one of the lobbies of the modi government is it's the adani group uh, he is an old friend of the whole uh, you know the modi regime uh, so there was a tender floated for taking over the airports in india some of the airports and his company seems to have won almost all of the tenders that were out there and i don't think it is just mere coincidence or anything like that so we have to avoid going into a path of crony capitalism and make sure that everyone out there gets equal chance especially the small businesses and i think we need to create a proper environment for entrepreneurs in india as well not just for large enterprises uh going to the part where you asked me about other governments i think there is a huge vacuum in terms of uh, there's a huge leadership crisis in the opposition right now uh, the main opposition leader right now is from the gandhi family rahul gandhi and this is yeah. where my criticism mm-hmm. of the congress lies as well i think they need to bring back uh, democracy in their own party and they need to elect uh, efficient leaders not just from the gandhi family but you know they have to give equal chance to young leaders who are well educated and uh, you know who have experience of uh, you know performing uh, well in different roles mm sure 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 and uh, i think one of the other uh, mm-hmm. initiatives that i've seen this government take is uh, it's called make in india which in theory sounds like a very good initiative uh, this uh, it basically is meant to encourage uh young people to entrepreneur and you know start their own businesses and in uh, in a birds eye view it actually also means that india becomes more and more self sufficient in terms of its needs rather than relying on um, you know other countries for different purposes so india has a lot of imports even defensively from russia and us as well so i think that has to stop and india has to so that defense is one of the examples that i can give and lot of industry wise as well i think india has a lot of scope of improvement there um, I yeah i mean i guess i guess it's it's probably the right balance because i think you mentioned not 5 minutes ago about how india is utilizing all these global connections because they need them so much in the in the face of globalization right and now you're obviously saying keep it all in india so it from the outside looking it sounds a bit contradictory which is fine but obviously um i think you're probably trying to say you need to get the right balance right between um, yeah. these different factions awesome that's pretty uh so yeah it might in one way it might sound contradictory the whole make in india campaign uh, versus uh, you know us going out there and connecting with the other world economies but uh, what i'm trying to say there is that to serve the immediate need of uh the indian economy we need to make sure that we make use of the whole globalized nature of the world economy right now but over time let's say in the next 20 30 or 40 years we need to have enough number of companies uh which are based in india and we are able to manufacture a lot of our products which are used by the indian public within india itself so no absolutely that makes sense that makes a lot more sense yeah. nice one all right chikanya um you been a quality quality guest today mate really giving some real good insight into um all things india i uh, one question before you go is a question which i think occurs in maybe definitely in other parts of the world um, but i'm quite intrigued about um so we've been talking about the government this whole time the prime minister and the bjp party etc obviously india also has a president um right in saying um yeah. what's the dynamics in that because obviously it seems that like the main figure of the country is the prime minister and not the president um and i think like i said that might occur in other countries across the globe but i'm just intrigued how how does that work and what's the sort of status of powers between these two how how's the dynamics all go together 
uh well in terms of power uh so basically like what uh we know is that there are three pillars of the indian democracy uh there are three powers which means there are three powers in the indian democracy uh one is legislature so that is basically prime minister and all the elected members of the parliament uh the member of parliament mm-hmm. so there are two houses in the indian parliament the lok sabha and the rajya sabha lok sabha mm-hmm. are elected by the people in general elections uh lok sabha members and rajya sabha is like i think it's like the house of lords where people are uh you know the elected members in lok sabha they elect the members of rajya sabha so that's like the upper and lower house so that is basically legislature the second is judiciary that is uh, that means all the courts uh, high courts and supreme court and the third power in the democracy is executive which is basically the president so in india president is the commander of uh, the armed forces uh, all the three armed forces and uh, any bill uh, after it is passed in the houses it has to go through the president to get approved it needs to get the signature of the president so in a way i think where if you loosely uh, try to explain it it's like the role of a monarch in england he's not a monarch but yeah it's, he plays the role of such a figure so if you wanted to go like if you wanted to go to war or something you know from india or whatever you'd have to get approval by the president almost yeah basically all the laws that yeah anything major decisions that happen in the country they come through the president but he's not someone who uh, objects to anything uh, that comes from the parliament because that is the elected uh, house okay so i guess the president in this sense in india has the most power yes um but in terms of public figurehead uh nationally and globally that it comes all from the prime minister that's because that's the guy we see old girl awesome makes a lot more sense cheers chuck 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 chan chanakya sorry <laughs> <laughs> i knew i'd get it wrong i had to go the very last sentence in it <laughs> chana that's why i was sticking with chana it's so much easier all right man um thanks so much for your time uh it's been very interesting conversation and um yeah i guess we'll hopefully catch up soon and see the latest developments in your country um thanks for coming on Yeah sure thanks for having me on the show again it was a pleasure mm, my experience of being in a podcast <laughs> and uh, my best wishes to you yeah perfect perfect well we'll have you back on again soon most definitely and thanks for your insight mate it's been great um awesome all right listeners stay um listeners stay at home yeah well stay safe stay at home if you want but yeah stay safe bye bye